Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Queer Quadrant, a podcast where we, two bisexual filmmakers, examine cinema in all its cultural contexts and explore why your favorite four-quadrant blockbuster is maybe not as straight as you think it is. I'm just going to come right out of the gate with a really blazing hot take. Are okay. you Are you seated? I am. Are you bracing yourself? Do you have ice water ready? Yes. Cary Grant, hot. Tall, Cary Grant. water talented this is actually a little bit of a, a hot take from you though because jordan mm-hmm. famously, famously uh-huh. a jimmy oh, wow. stewart lover well you see here brooke <laughs> <laughs> oh no i don't know where that was a little more more foghorn no, leghorn i like that it's just you gotta get the draw um that's true i am more famously uh jimmy but thing is jimmy stews when you watch Cary grant in a screwball comedy the man works because the man <laughs> does bits and he's really funny. He's so funny. He's so good at physical comedy, mm-hmm. I think is what really stood out on this time. Like the little mannerisms, his little like mm-hmm's, oh, like eyes. Will we, be, we will be talking about the slapstick and screwball in screwball comedies. I, I can't wait. But do you you agree? Of course I yes. agree. I'm a Cary Grant stand till the day I die. I was wondering what that tattoo was. Um. But. Oh yeah, Cary Grant's face just like right on across your chest. my collarbone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hi, I'm Frank Solomon. Jordan parentheses Cary Grant now lover Gustafson <laughs> we love talking about cinema we love talking about being queer we love talking about queer cinema mm-hmm. so here we are talking about it on mic mm-hmm. today we are throwing it all the way back to 1937 to discuss Whoosh. Cary Grant and Irene Dunn's vehicle the awful truth and we are joined by host of the little gold men podcast and staff writer at Vanity Fair David Canfield hello Hello. Hello. Let's get screwy. Let's oh get my God. Screwy. <laughs> Throw some balls. <laughs> Lovely to have you back. Uh, it is truly a pleasure to be back with both of you. Oh, that's very sweet. I like you. that you said vehicle because famously the poster for this is the two of them in a vehicle. Brooke, they're driving a car. They are driving a car. And guess what? The car's a little goofy. It's a little silly. I thought that I thought for sure that Mr. Smith, the best dog in the entire world, would be on the poster, but mm. he's not. They had to save him. It's a it's a reveal but for when like, you watch the he's movie. He's a pivotal aspect. Pre-social media, you know. Yes. You walk to that theater and you're like, who is this? Right. <laughs> Breakout this, this One star? character's really popping off the screen. <laughs> oh, it's Mr. Smith the dog. <laughs> what was the, it's Skippy is the actor's name. Uh, the dog's actor. Yes. Name, he's so, he's a know. professional. Okay. Treat him as such. Asta. He was also in Bringing Up Baby. So joint slay for him. Oh. And the thin man. He's he yeah. had quite a few credits. The thin man. We're like the thin pup uh, did he i don't <laughs> sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> i i never remember what the name of the award is that they can give the like, palm dog yeah well there's that but the, isn't there also like a like a you can be awarded around oscar time for like being a very good pet a good pet Ooh, i don't know um the i famously the jack russell from uh the artist uh, won it course. a couple years right. ago yeah yeah, I feel like that dog got a little too much press. You he know? was a good boy. He was a good boy, okay. but like, let's simmer down, okay? You know? <laughs> Does anyone really remember the dog, you know? I do. Does okay. anyone really remember the artist? That's the better question. Wow. Well, oh, I no. As, oh, as I agree. The I, I have to remember. You have to remember. Right, but you yeah. have no choice in the matter. Is that maybe the least, or like rather, the most forgot Best Picture winner? From the past decade? I yeah. was just talking about this with somebody. I think of recent winners absolutely and mm-hmm. like Jean Dujardin as a best actor winner <laughs> among best actor winners absolutely did, in that category where did he go who knows what is he doing I don't know he was in the monuments men yeah. yes <laughs> okay a movie that I did see I was just gonna say I did see dare I say defend at the time 
Yeah, I had a good time with it. This I is that's know. a big that's I did not. I uh, that was a big big family movie for yes, us because it was family friendly, but was also about history. <laughs> that's Whoa. how you must have loved it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that might be the it's most it's one of those brutal of takes. My in laws <laughs> loved it. Oh, India, you have no idea. <laughs> Huge hit with them. Um, but to start this off, so David, I want to throw to you because you brought brought the awful truth towards us. What drew you to it? What's your relationship with it? Give us a little bit of your history here. Sure. Um, generally, uh, I wouldn't say I was the, you know, the earliest inductee follower of, of Screwball. Um, my dad is a huge old Hollywood, particularly Cary Grant fan. And so mm-hmm. it kind of was always percolating around my my sphere as I got into movies. So I, I honestly don't remember the first time I, I saw this or even other movies of the category. Um, I just remember loving it and loving all of them. And, um, you know, the, the as I got to writing about movies and making it a big part of my life, I kind of understood in retrospect, the significance of this movie is really an originator, both of Screwball as a genre and of Cary Grant movie star, perhaps even more uh, importantly, significantly. Yes. And so then I watched it again. This probably was about like five years ago. And it's it's interesting to watch this movie understanding its, its significance because it's such a delightful escape in a lot of ways and it, it it hits its beat so perfectly that you can appreciate it on its on its merits um but then you i think understanding that it really had never been done before and that he'd never done this kind of thing before uh gives it this whole new um sheen this new significance that i have have certainly carried with me and it's it's made it one of the more special movies for me um ever since then mm. it's you carried oh. it with you Carried. I'm so sorry. No, please. That's what we're here for. I'm so sorry. Cary Grant would approve, if nothing. Yes, actually, yeah, he would. It is crazy to think that this was like the movie that is credited with creating the Cary Grant persona, the thing that really launched him to stardom. Because during the filming of this movie, he did not think it was working and was like begging to be released from his contract and was really stressed. Doesn't show in his performance. It's Mm -mm. an amazing performance, but I think that. It's so easy to forget how charming these movies were. Um, It really is like a totally lost genre, which is very sad. So I've seen this movie twice. I watched it last year because Criterion had like a a screwball Mm -hmm. corner. And I, as Brooke knows, and I've mentioned the pod, I'm like a very big screwball fan. And so like my review was was like, I will single-handedly drag screwball comedy like back to our like cultural conversation. Yes. Because it is... While there are some movies, I guess, like What's Up Doc and other movies that have, like, had screwball energy, it is really, like, between, like, 1930 to, like, the early 1940s that this, like, heyday classic period existed. And it's such a fun genre of romantic comedies that it's just hard to capture, I think, exactly, like, in a sentence of, like, why it works so well. But it's just the sharp dialogue, how hot and talented everyone of this era was. I think like you don't love the Hayes Code, but the fact that everything was a double entendre, everything was like so sexually charged, but like you couldn't actually see the sex. Like this movie's final act is, or basically final scene is just the two of them like flirting and wanting to fuck and like get back together. But like 
you can't an like see ending. it. Yeah. yeah. Like Irene Dunn is looking at like Cara Grant being like, you want to get in this bed right now. And he is like, yes, I do. But this cat is on the floor and I can't open the door. Well, what do I do? I mean, since you brought it up, now I have to talk about it, even though it's very out of order. But like the final shot of this movie is the train <laughs> shot in North by Northwest. Like it's true. It it is a beautiful example of uh-huh. skirting the Hayes Code in action. It's beautiful. It's also a little unsettling. I feel like the first time you watch it, you look at the like characters coming out of the clock, and you're like, "Are those actors, or was that the real clock?" And then you watch it more, and you're like, "Oh no, no, those They're were actors little... superimposed." Wait, is it really? It has to be, right? I yeah, figured yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, oh, that's what I, like I thought. That. I mean. I think because I thought it was at first just a clock. Like it's little for sure, I think it's for sure people because like their movements aren't perfect on their like high knees, That's and it's cute. different when they come out the second time. So I think he like threw yeah some sort of I love that shoot on like a black yeah mat. little movie magic little movie magic. Little. If people are not familiar with uh, the awful truth, um, this is a film about a couple who get divorced for not a very good reason and then spend the sort of limbo between when they're when they get divorced and when their divorce is finalized falling back in love with each other mm-hmm. and it's left open to interpretation if they get back together the night that their divorce is finalized oh, they do. but if you believe this little animatronic clock that shows a man and a woman exiting two doors and entering one door together mm. aka sex then they definitely <gasps> get back together no yeah yes yeah, so this is also the first in the Cary Grant Irene Dunn trilogy um which also includes my favorite wife and Penny Serenade have you have seen my favorite wife I have I have seen my wife yes oh. <laughs> oh, uh, my favorite wife. <laughs> very straight that movie yeah uh, for sure yeah, yeah. Randall uh, we'll get into it but oh, you know yes <laughs> well, Randolph let's... Scott and Carrie they just had a very close friendship um, we'll dig into it. But I love sure. that I love that both of them are in my favorite way. It also it's like because of the title too. Like it's yes. just it's so beautiful. Yes. I was going to ask both uh, David and Jordan if you have a favorite screwball comedy. I know it's like it's picking a favorite question. child. It's difficult, but if one just kind of like not even a not necessarily a favorite as in like this is the best, but one that you hold very you near love, and dear yeah. to your heart. You want to go first? You can go first. Because <laughs> now, now I'm like, Jordan oh, no, could I use the time. This is absolutely up there. Um, yeah. But for me, it is probably bringing up baby. Mm-hmm. That's okay. See, that's, I literally sent a voice text last night because of someone I was talking to. They were, we were talking about this movie and I was like, well, there's so many good screwballs. And I was just like running through the list. I'm like, well, you have Lady Eve. You bring a baby. You have like all the Hawk stuff. You know, like it happened when nights like, it's like, of course, like a classic, but like, Bringing a baby might be the best in terms of like execution, queer undertones. Yeah. Everything about that movie is kind of just perfect. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia Story is really up there. Though. I was going to say, I think that yes. for me, it would be the Philadelphia Story. I also know yeah. it's not during screwball comedy heyday, but, but if we're counting some like it hot. Yeah. yeah. If we're counting some like it hot from 59 as a screwball comedy. Count. I mean, that is like, I it's think perfect movie. One, I need to watch it again ASAP because like it's actually insane it's like how the much best I love ever made, yeah yeah <laughs> but I love the Philadelphia story so much so um I'm very charmed by that movie I'm a huge 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 Katherine Hepburn fan <sighs> like 
huge formative um, crush for yes. me step on in me. a pantsuit Catherine Hepburn <laughs> have you guys seen Sylvia Scarlet no I do not love the name so this in my opinion and I should give a little background uh, that I've been working on uh, a Cary Grant story so I've been sort of very deep in his filmography of late um, but this was a movie I wasn't very aware of um, and it's the first time that Hepburn and Cary Grant collaborated, and it's mm. it was a huge failure uh, for the studio. And it's um, essentially a drag movie, <gasps> and oh. it has the most explicitly like immediate postcode, basically queer scene that I've seen. Whoa! And it's it's utterly fascinating because it's really the first time that Cary Grant I think got to do something like this it was just not seen widely and the movie has a lot of problems um but anyway half recommendation and half yeah tease for for this collaboration that I think is is a little under underseen perhaps compared to the others it feels like it's something that we should watch given everything about us I was gonna recommend it for this but it truly did so badly that it it, it doesn't exist (laughs) yeah it it would not it would not fit your parameters no no I agree I will not agree but like I think that's probably smart but but there is something so hot about Cary Grant wearing drag because also in bringing a baby when he wears the like silk kind of nightgown look you know like iconic (laughs) it's actually her in drag and he basically does not realize she's not a man one point says to her you'll make a proper hot water bottle uh in terms of them sleeping in the same bed Oh my Again, god! Again, him thinking that this is a man. Yes, it's, it's wild. It's wild. There were a lot of walkouts when the movie. I was going to okay, say, Mulan. I, I, I can, I can understand why this did not do well for the studio. <laughs> this is making sense. Thirty-four, thirty-five. Yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah, it's you said. Yentl. I also like you said walkouts, and I was like, yeah, that that makes sense because I think been that in the theater, like you let's go. Um, as much as we discuss the Hayes Code when we have like a code era movie, I think that we tend to more focus on like the people that were enforcing the code as opposed to the audience response to the code. Right. It's not like the theater was full of repe- repressed people that couldn't wait for Bonnie and Clyde to like get shot full of right. bullets. There was a <laughs> lot of people who actively opposed any time the code was right enforced yeah or not enforced you know was was very pro code which Mm -hmm. is why it went on for so long just for the record i think this movie is so fascinating too because if you watch it it really does and there was a a piece on this where they kind of let the movie skirt by on a lot of the more risque stuff because of how many bits there were and how funny and the sort of star power yeah and exactly that it sort of undercuts the risque nature of it but this movie is kind of chock full of really sexy and double entendre jokes i mean irene dunn tells a man like no one would accuse you of being a good lover basically in bed which is incredible and i mean like again like the whole final act but there's so much about cheating and sex and like what a person should do with a lover and i mean the whole entire like dance scene where the dress is being blown up that was pretty that probably was the most shocking quote unquote thing to me that was in a mm. a, a a code movie and it's early too it's it, like yeah. It, yeah it's not buried it's it's a pretty it's like the first big set piece of them after they're uh separated yes yeah but i think the line that sort of gave me the most like ooh, is when Cary grant is talking about how you know irene dunn should maybe or maybe not get back together with 
Buffalo Bill and says, uh, I'm surprised he's still interested in you after that two men in a bedroom farce. <laughs> and the farce itself, like the visual yes. of the two men in the bedroom. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when they're fighting and you just hear like the glass shattering and the two of them going together. And it's like, oh, no, they're just blah, blah, blah. The two will barrel out of the yes, room chasing yes. after each other. If people don't know Jordan, it makes so much sense that you like screwball comedies because they're exactly your sense of humor. Yeah. Like we need to you. you I they're can bit heavy. Yes. They're goofy. Yes. They're sexy. They're like exactly your sense of humor. I know. And it's people bad. people fumbling the bag constantly. But- is there anything more relatable than fumbling the bag, you know, no in life? <laughs> not no being like... Certainly not. <laughs> right? And like, I think the flirting is really good. I, there was a quote. I don't know. So you sent us a great Pauline Kale article on Cary Grant. I don't know if it was in that or in something else I was reading that described Cary Grant where he was a leading man who didn't know how hot he was on screen. Like he was playing an average man and that's what made his humorous bits so much funnier and i really do think that is what's so huge for the Cary grant persona is it is this beautiful superman of a person but he is using his body in such a fun physical way that it makes the humor even better and the fact that this perfect person can't have a perfect relationship makes no matter what the humor is even better Mm -hmm. and in this movie too because he's wealthy you know should be happily married like there shouldn't be problems but no matter what all of the problems are just exacerbated by all the little details about him as a a leading man and irene dunn of course like on the flip side but yes yeah kale calls him the most publicly seduced man the world has known (laughs) true true for that (laughs) very true i also love i just love the setup of movies like this where technically they get divorced because they're accusing each other of infidelity never actually explained what they're doing in quote-unquote mexico quote-unquote on the way back from the theater right we never actually know if they were cheating on each other or not do you think they were i think so i think think, so yeah i think it's them finding their way back to love each other and i think if we want to read into the Cary grant thing i do think it's kind of fun looking at it like he was having a a little gay escape because you know he talks about like how awfully white skinned he is for a man but then there's the whole like naked locker room i was gonna say his opening opening scene scene. yeah the guy's like fully checking him out as he's getting a massage it's really it's wild he wants to to duck the women and play some golf with his fella yeah when you when People look back at this period and, and you know, the pictures of, of Cary Grant and Randolph Scott that are off-studied, mm-hmm. the, um, I don't want to say defense of them, but the read of them that is like, no, these aren't gay. It's like, this was like masculine, public-facing relationships in the 30s. And the, there's a surface truth to that. And then when you dig deeper and actually like learn a little bit more about this period, it's like, yes, but <laughs> yeah, there is a certain amount of concealment that those presentations, exactly like this opening scene, I think, presented. So not to say that this movie was like gay man, uh, even subversively, but it's it's not wrong to read into the sexiness of that scene. Yes, yeah. yes. And especially that, again, it never being just. Dis- again despite the fact that irene dunn's lover 
Um, but potential lover, potential lover. Lucy's potential lover is like a main character in the rest of the movie, but that we never find out what Jerry was up to in Florida. Right. Um, <laughs> With that striking spray tan. Yes. No man has ever worn a tan better than Cary Grant has. Yeah. He is. Yeah. It's giving fan. George Clooney. We, we recently discussed on the Ocean's yeah. Eleven, on our Ocean's Eleven episode, we're like, George Clooney is not, not white. As I was led to believe through my childhood, he just can hold a tan really well. Cary Grant is the same. I think we should rip the bandaid off and talk mm. about Cary Grant. Not just Cary Grant and Randolph Scott, but basically the Cary Cliff's the Cliff Notes version of Cary Grant's potentially homosexual history is that mm. he lived with Randolph Scott for like twelve years. Mm-hmm. There is the I, most of the iconic photos that are like architectural digest them at home come from um the we can't afford a hollywood marriage article um (laughs) which by the way um i mean they had multiple magazine features over the time but you know at a certain point it was like years into this relationship this like you guys are making some money yes in doing research it's so fascinating about his starship and like this randolph relationship because there were other men who like lived together like there was articles talking about how jimmy stewart and henry fonda were errol flynn and david niven but and like while these were i think like, everybody publicity, was exactly like i think everybody photos, was living together for reasons right but it's like this relationship lasted so long and like maybe yes it was could have been studio driven and the studio did want him to marry and like kind of forced his like first marriage but like throughout the first marriage like Randolph still lived with him. This is all alleged, blah, blah, blah. Well, but, I just want to say it is all alleged and Cary Grant's daughter like has yes. actively denied her father was gay. She'll often say at the end of a denial, um, but if he did have a, if he did experiment, good for him or something. Good for him. <laughs> yes. We love an ally. We love it's... an ally. I do think she's an ally. I, I think it's it's difficult. You know, he was quite old when... You know, the relationship with Randolph Scott was over whatever that relationship was by the time she was born. Yes. And it's it's pretty undisputed that the older he got, the less he sort of dabbled in what may or may not have been a Hollywood gay scene. Um, yeah. So it, it, it makes sense that she would have that perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not like the J. Edgar and Edgar's uh, like, I don't partner. Talk whatever. About that. Yeah. It's a mess. Um, David, since you are in the middle of sort of like deep dive Cary Grant worlds, have you discovered anything that you previously were not aware of? I mean, queer adjacent or otherwise, in sort of like this research and looking at his films? So I think one, you know, element I, I can't say too much, but one element that I really focused on because obviously we're so far into, um, you know, so far beyond when this happened is there's not really any way to know for sure, right? If somebody was living a gay life in this time period, yes. right? It was, you know, you think about the code, what the code was, um, the fact that homosexuality uh, was a crime. Yep. There were raids on these clubs that did exist in Hollywood at this time, these um, these drag clubs, these gay clubs. And in all that, of course, there were still queer people <laughs> who lived lives. And I think it's really fascinating to look at, I don't want to say how things were covered at the time, but certainly, mm-hmm. you know, there was a ton of awareness around this couple 
um, again, couple could be platonic. Quote could be unquote, yes. Yes, couple. Uh, there's a ton of awareness around this couple at the time. And I'm not sure that that is necessarily fully considered in the way that they're talked about now, meaning mm. there were rumors back then. And there yes. were there were scandals and there were controversies and there were efforts to push back against those rumors. And I think when you consider that against the fact that they were living together past marriages for as long as they were, um, there's a there's a certain strength to that to that union that um, that really jumped out at me. Yeah, I think that's I think that's very, very nicely put. And I, I, something that we obviously we've talked about either openly queer or alluded, mm-hmm. l- alludedly queer um, actors <laughs> um, in the past. James Dean, Catherine. I mean, we haven't talked about Catherine Hepburn in like a Catherine Hepburn movie, but we certainly mentioned her. Marilyn. Uh, Marilyn Monroe. Like um, there's. We always want to obviously be very respectful because we don't know these people, but this is also like as much a little bit of a history podcast as it is a cinema and a queer focused podcast. And so it's like we can't say definitively one way or the other, mostly. But, you know, I think that we are free to draw our own personal conclusions. Um, And gay. (laughs) (laughs) Or bye. <laughs> yes, I think that like what well, probably really... honestly. I mean, that's, that's yeah. I think that's the, yeah. the, the most uh, logical answer would be that's yeah. that's the thing is my sort of like uh, my kind of like personal philosophy, which I know I've said on mic before, is that a lot of people who think that they're straight probably actually live much more in the bisexual spectrum but because it's not something that they have to discuss or or look at nearly as much as people who are like a kinsey six if you will um it's just not something that is discussed in the same way um so yeah basically if you think you might be gay maybe you might be gay i think it's so fascinating in contrast with like people who were gay at the time too. Like you look at like a George Cukor or like a yep. James Whale yep. where they're like so actively out and sort of like the conversations around that and like what they were free to do, what free not to do is always interesting. And there's like George Cukor had like a Cukor, sorry, had a quote about like Carrie and Randolph together already where he said like, oh, Carrie won't talk about it at most. He'll say they did some wonderful pictures together, but Randolph will admit it to a friend you to know someone in the know to a friend of dorothy like george just stirring the pot <laughs> all i have to say is that the first time that i saw the photos of carrie grant and randall <laughs> scott i was in shock and i kind of love them i mean i i do love them like i they're so yeah. they're i don't know they kind of they warm my heart i uh remember we were when we were talking about maybe Rebel with a Cause, we were talking mm. about the um, Brando and James Dean like audition tape from around right. that time, which similarly like makes me like giggle. Like, a ton <laughs> like, of sexual like, chemistry oh, between the so, two of them. It's so cute, and that's how I feel yeah. about these these like um you know the photos the photos fellas is it gay to do a photo shoot with your roommate of 12 years the thing is they're honestly they're very very sweet that's what i take away from them but there is like the loving ones where like one of them will be looking at the other in a way that's like hmm yeah like or he'll be lying at like his feet and you're like hmm 
I I see so much love in those photos and I look at them and like I said, it warms my heart. I'm like, wow, this is like, this is kind of beautiful. Yeah. Um. Anyway. And do you guys know that the photographer was, yeah, a gay well, man who, yeah. who was um, alleged to have slept with them by a friend of his uh, in the New Yorker, so... Jerome Zerbe. Yeah. So make into that coding what you will. Messy bitches. I still am not over the two recent like quotes that I think about a lot. This is not relevant to Cary Grant, but I think it is relevant to like still being in the public eye Mm. are Kate Winslet saying she knows, quote, at least five actors in Hollywood who haven't come out. (laughs) And the incredible Laverne Cox interview where someone on the street asked her, there are still closeted people in Hollywood. She just goes, girl. (laughs) (laughs) I, that that that's one of the reasons that I I decided to do this story because obviously a lot has changed in close to a hundred years, which is shocking to say. I know. Oh God. Ah, that's crazy. We're ninety years. It's crazy, but I mean, yeah. I, this, the the Rock Hudson documentary that just came mm-hmm. out. Yeah. I mean, there are striking parallels to the coverage of him versus Cary Grant, uh, to the molding of this heterosexual icon in the public mm-hmm. eye uh, against the available ev- public you know private evidence um this this kind of cycle has gone on and on and on and on and we don't really have any out a-listers now either we don't Mm-mm. at all especially men so it's um yeah mm-hmm. i think about Last, your, yes. Or what yes. we talked about on in and out i think about it pretty much every episode how no out gay man has won an Oscar Been nominated and it's so deeply upsetting and you like the fact like it is you know we're a hundred years out from almost this movie which is a wild and obviously like a lot has changed but the fact that like within the industry not a lot actually has necessarily changed that much and at times it feels like we might be like regressing in terms of the conversation around like what's depicted on screen what's not etc and I don't want to dig into the like the sex on screen conversation because we've had that so much but like it feels like we keep going in these waves and while certain things move forward, the fact that like progress hasn't been made in other areas is just so disheartening. Yeah. I think it's, you can break down progress by what has progressed and what has stayed stagnant and still say that it's like we've made incredible strides, but we also haven't at the same time. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy to think about in like our pack of A-listers, anyone from like basically the 70s onward who's still actively starring in movies including like the 20 to 30 year olds Mm -hmm. nothing like crickets or something that is maybe alluded to but not super forward facing um and it's just hard to think about the fact that i don't know i think it's it's very unrealistic that nobody is keeping anything out of the public eye in regards to queerness like just statistic statistically it doesn't make sense yeah the yeah. math says the math isn't mathing. <laughs> here, it's not adding up <laughs> the math is not mathing and it's the same it's the same thing with i think like front of camera versus behind the camera where you had yeah. you know plenty plenty of of out uh people even yeah. in the 30s and 40s who like you said were more free to live their life than the stars of today and here we go. It's yeah. the same thing. Yeah, and it's it's so wild too because it's like 
whale i feel like i keep we keep like talking about doing like a whale month or like whale in october because he's sort of like the biggest i think we picture of it you know especially for old hollywood just because of what he was making but it's like he wasn't necessarily as impacted for his films by being gay it's just because of his genre which i think is so also fascinating because he was more hit for not being able to make as much as he wanted because he was making kind of like horror movies you Mm -hmm. know what i mean and like how those reviewed versus like his gay life and sort of like the conversation around that i think which is so fascinating yeah but to tie it back to carrie i do have a question because you've been watching a lot do you have favorite carries do you have a preference because obviously carrie is one of the funniest people alive but he's also done like a lot of serious like his whole whole hitchcock run of course is like great yes so what are your what are your like mount rushmore carrie grant movies that's a great question. I love him in Notorious. Yes. We're going Hitchcock. Okay. I, I honestly think Awful Truth is one of his his best performances. Yeah. Because, I mean, we haven't talked about the imp- improvisatory quality of his acting, and particularly right. in these movies, but that's really important in, in this one, um, just because, as you were saying before, he is having so much anxiety about being in this movie and how to work in it. And that's kind of how they figured it out uh, in, in a lot of ways. Um, and, and I think in this movie, you see something that did continue on into a lot of his screwball, his best screwball performances, like the ones we were talking about. Um, it's just this, his instinct that is so honestly unmatched. Yeah. Even among his co-stars. And Perry, Penny's Serenade is also a, a great one. So yeah, those sure. are He's just great. I mean, he's Cary Grant, you know? Yes. Good star. Do you have favorites? Good star. I really love him in North by Northwest. I'm kind of a fan of, like, aging Silver Fox, Cary Grant. Grant. It was also crazy the first time I watched this because we were like, wow, a woman who's only 15 years younger than him instead of 35 years younger than him. Not that that's a Cary Grant-specific problem. Um, And I, let's see, it is really so difficult to pick i think i'll also put his girl friday on classic the very so top sharp of my yeah. and i i don't know i i'm a very much a sucker for like a workplace romance especially women in the workplace that can go toe to toe with a the men woman there. in the workplace like, i'm a very big fan <laughs> how about you jordan i mean this for sure it's so funny like bringing up baby philadelphia like we talked about like those i do love arsenic and old lace a lot oh that's a good um, one that's a good call North by Catch a Thief. They're all really good. I mean, he's like such a star. I know, but, but you asked the question. No, I know. You have well, to I give just, an answer. You know, I think, so bringing up in Philadelphia, probably my, probably bringing up just because I love what he does. Um, but this movie, so I watched it for the first time last year and this rewatch like really cemented it as kind of like a perfect screwball comedy for me. Like, I don't know whether it's like the revisit that really made the jokes sing or just something about it this time. Like I gave it four and a half last year. So it wasn't like, I didn't think it was perfect, but like this, it was like a five star cemented it for me in this yes. watch. Um, and I don't know what necessarily changed, but just something about it is such a clear star vehicle for the two of them. And it feels as we'll talk about, like for the production of it, that they were able to get such strong performances and play into the persona. But the fact that his persona wasn't known at this time, because you watch this and you can see how this is just, everything he kind of does going forward. Then the fact that the director, Leo McCary, mm-hmm. his performance in this is pretty much just based off him, 
which is amazing. So, like, should Leo McCary be getting Cary Grant residuals? Maybe. I mean, he won. He the did best win director. an Academy Award, and <laughs> Cary Grant wasn't even nominated. That, okay, that is wild. Why is Cary not getting nominated, but Buffalo Bill himself is? You know, Cary Grant's I... Oscar history is utterly bizarre. I mean, yes. it, it is. I mean, it's true of a lot of actors, but I mean, I don't know if you've seen None But the Lonely Heart, which I think was his. Nope. No. It, it's a. It's not. It's. He's not good in it. It's not good. It's not a good movie. It's just like a no. And that's mm. one of his two nominations, I want to say. Yeah, that and Penny Serenade. Yeah, which we're, yeah. we're here for. So it's it's quite bizarre um, that he didn't get recognized for any of these movies. Especially, I mean, Irene Dunn's wonderful in this. Oh my God, she's so good. Wonderful. And it's great she was nominated. But it's a good example of like, he probably just wasn't a noted quality yet. I mean... You know, I, I was reading some reviews in the New York Times of his work up to this point, and it was just like, yeah, yeah, he's cute. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. And 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 so I just don't think he had reached that level. And as you guys were saying, this era of movie making was pretty short lived. And I think he just kind of the profile wasn't there. Um, that's my best explanation for something that is inexplicable. Yes. Yeah. I also uh, I was reading that around this time in his career, he was not particularly like successful to the box office mm. and nor was Catherine Hepburn for what it's worth. He was just very popular. He had which... the attention of the men and the women yes. and the vase yeah. of the time. Yes. Well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, he ever? <laughs> it's interesting to look at that now in terms of like who is a quote unquote tabloid movie star versus mm. like who actually turns profits at the box office. Like what is butts and seats versus just kind of like public recognition. Um, Think about that all the I've time. heard some interesting talk about Margot Robbie where it's like, yes, mm. absolutely. Like Margot Robbie is a name people. She excites people. She can lead a movie. She's a capital M movie star, but she doesn't necessarily translate to like tickets. She did not tickets. in 2020, 2022. That no. did, that, <laughs> she did not do that. No, she people, did not. People babbled on right it, past Babylon. Babbled right on. Although, you also you literally know. forgot about Amsterdam. Whoosh. Straight up. And she didn't, it's the same with Birds of Prey. Like she didn't. Yeah. But then you look at like Tom Cruise and you're like, well. But everyone in the world like knows who Margot Robbie is. Yeah. So. Would you say Timmy now? Timmy Chalamet? I feel like May? Doom 2 will be like, or like I guess actually honestly like Wonka might be in ticket. <laughs> Wonka's a big, a big, uh, big test I think. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I was also thinking about um, Tom Holland um, <laughs> and sort of like, I mean Uncharted did well and obviously Spider-Man No Way Home did amazingly, right. but he doesn't translate in no. things like Cherry or the Crowded Room. And those are obviously like young people. He might have, he might just have bad taste. Well, listen, the, he's taking a much needed year off. Yeah. But you know who has good no, taste? No, he already took the year off. Oh, shit. Oh, sh I thought, no. Tom. Oh, no. It's Tom Holland. Tom, no. no. He talked, he went on all these, you know, on this press yeah. junket and he talked about this year off because this role was so demanding and it was going to be this great story when the reviews came out and then the reviews were a dud and the year off was off and it was like, oh, shit. Oh, oh Tom. Poor baby. It's okay. I, yeah. At least and his partner has great taste. Yes, yeah, she does. But I was she, like, she's doing all right. I was thinking about the, sort of like the the quote unquote young stars of Hollywood rising because there were in this very weird middle ground where we have Tom Cruise and Harrison Ford. Um, and then we have kind of like a blank space mm -hmm. of nothing. And then we have like, can you sell a movie on Zendaya? Question right. mark. Uh, um, Austin Butler? Maybe. Maybe. I guess we'll see. Um, and so I, even though like, obviously, because Cary Grant 
was a little bit older when he really rose to fame not like significantly older but mm. it's interesting to see that there was to like the popular stars and then the box office darlings right it's really interesting i mean you could argue that we're in a bit of a full circle moment because yes. this was pre again pre-movie stardom really he was the bold for it um mm-hmm. at the at, in the late 30s and into the 40s and before that you had he was he was a media darling in the same way that a lot of the people you're talking about now are are media darlings um but he was not someone who would necessarily turn a profit for a studio i mean his his first contract his first studio contract was kind of a disaster he would be put on loan mm-hmm. um just to see what would stick uh it, it didn't really go well for him but he was never like on the verge of a, a career end or anything like that it was a weird um you know balance of of profitability and and level of interest Hmm. so wild how much the industry has again like changed but like the whole idea of someone being on contract and being loaned out like existing today is just not a thing and it's also just because of how many movies were being made then and in what way through the studio system it's crazy to imagine that today even though we don't have loan outs though i think a lot about we both work like in development. we both think about we both both work in development and like something that's interesting with stars now is their availability is not necessarily like to columbia or to paramount but projects will have to be put on hold for a year two years because of their pre-existing large contracts mm-hmm. with things like marvel mcu stuff is yeah. like that is technically yeah yeah you're under contract you're I mean, under contract that's like, why elizabeth olsen gave that that interview where she said give him one yeah where she's you know if, if you sign up for a lot that is effectively your life and it, you it, have to work around that it really blocks your ability to work yeah it blocks the directors too we've had directors of go off and do marvel projects and we're like oh this project just has to go on ice for two years we still want to do it but yeah, yeah it's it's gone so yes i do agree that we are in a full circle moment right now mm-hmm. hey it's been 90 years if it was gonna come around now's the time now's 30s the time. are coming back around i don't know which if you means heard it, but... another depression bait let's, let's go. go um which means we need to bring back the screwball comedy because i Cracks had knuckles. a smile plastered on my face the entire time i was watching this movie yeah um the slapstick elements great wonderful i love you to famously see... don't even love comedy that much i like i think i like old comedy i this makes sense listen i saw no hard feelings recently I had a great time. I thought it was hilarious. You know who's a movie star? Jennifer, Jennifer Lawrence. Lawrence. Big movie she star. She bucks the trend. Butts yeah. in seats. She's there. But I I struggle with, I don't want to say that I struggle with male-dominated comedy, but actually I do want to say that. I struggle a lot with like contemporary male-dominated comedy. Like to me, no disrespect to the other guys, which I think is a very funny movie, but anything that's like Anchorman, other guys, anything in the greater Judd Apatow universe yes i tend to really be allergic to um but i will eat up like a bridesmaids or a girl's trip or no hard feelings can i ask what did you think of bros because that movie to me was an interesting combination of you know making a queer movie out of the conventions of mckay and apatow we talked about it didn't love it liked although i was like i liked it i definitely 
did not dislike it. I, I feel laughed. Like we were more pro than we were anti because I feel yes. like the online discourse was like everyone was like, "This is the worst movie ever made." It was were... crazy. It was yeah. crazy. Like yeah. I, I like. He definitely I, did not help matters. Yeah, exactly. What? It was it was much funnier than I expected. I will say, like I laughed more than I thought that I would, but it had that it had the apatow trappings like should have been left behind yeah in my opinion but i love fire island because that's more of a i don't know it has a little more story it's also smarter a little bit it has it just yeah and that's taking you know instead of taking from apatow it's taking from From austin prejudice yes (laughs) which i jane austen good writer greatly prefer but i i I mean you can take one or the other Um, yes yes your taste may vary i think that these old school comedy is I just love so yeah. much. They have, I don't know, there's like a little hit of nostalgia to them. Obviously, I watched a lot of classic movies when I was a kid. Uh, like we said, if the in-laws love it, I probably watched it because we were very, we were very like, we were very clean family. So any sort of modern day comedy that tends to run a little raunchy was like a no-go. So this is honestly the type of comedy that I'm more familiar Mm, with. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, Like we watched Bringing Up Baby and the Philadelphia Story and stuff like that. For us, I think also just like on a purely like queer level, like I feel like this comedy works so well for me and us, but like the way in which it plays with gender and gender roles. That's why I picked it. Yeah, like yeah. screwball comedies in general are so much about the inverse of typical gender roles where you have a woman being more of the man wearing the pants being, you know, guns out blazing and then you have a more goofy, submissive, kind of a dork of a guy mm-hmm. and it's then you let those roles play out and you see the inverse of them. They play within the gender binary and like whether or lack thereof at times. I think it's like what makes them so smart and i mean what's up doc of course then nails it when you have barbara streisand who is perfect in the like uh you know barbara stanwick irene dunn kind of role so like but for this like irene is incredible not only is she so funny but she's so sharp and the cutaways to her where she'll give like a little facial expression and try to like hold things down to be calm so good well, and she has this primness that, you know, at times was a, a kind of a source of criticism for for people um, that works so well here because he's undercutting it at every moment. And she's, like you said, there's that holding it together, but it's realized with in, in such a funny way, just given the dynamic between the two of them. It, 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 it is a testament to the genre and how much partners and how much the chemistry between them matters because... The performance works entirely because of what she's playing off opposite. Yeah. Yes. The whole, I think about that doorway sequence so much where Cary Grant is behind a door and the slam in and <laughs> keeps like hitting him in the door. And then he keeps tickling her with like a pencil and then the phone rings and she like, she has to go over, but she has to like not get to the phone because like on the phone is like the person she was cheating with. But oh my God, at the door is the person she's supposed to be marrying. And Cary Grant, her former husband is there. And how do you balance the wacky scenario? Yes. You know? Yes. I think that this is also an incredible example from the gender role perspective and that it's one woman juggling three men. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's um, it's it's incredible to Irene Dunn's credit that she feels like the same person throughout and yet has vastly different relationships which, mm-hmm. with each of these three men and that she's funny at every moment yeah. of it. But that like, even though Cary Grant is the 
you know, the leading man of this. He's really just one of a couple of different pawns that yeah. are circling around um, her, yeah. Irene. Yeah. I mean, would you not circle? Do you see the oh, outfits that she wears? The like that pa- fur coat. The fur coat. The fur coat. The like pendant thing fit she has her like pant the white and i guess i don't know if it was the, white and black because it is a black and white film but the like the pant, high contrast yeah. pantsuit oh yeah. my god i also love her when she's sort of when she moves into her own apartment and she's sort of doing her independent woman thing and she starts wearing a lot of shimmery dresses mm-hmm. like shimmery day dresses yes um is crazy to me especially in like the 30s that's so uh, that's it's so ostentatious Such a great look. but nothing beats her giant white fur coat in the first coat. scene it's, i mean it's it, ridiculous <laughs> yeah yeah um, so good. i mean well first of all a shout out to alexander uh or sorry shout out to ralph bellamy who has to play the most boring man in existence and got an academy award nomination for it not sure how i feel about that although i do uh, love his upset is how this, i feel but my god that character i just good lord but you never you buy just enough that i that lucy would be like okay sure he's clearly crazy about me he has a fortune in oil but when, when god i don't him like a kiss him and he's like woohoo i could buy three steaks or eat three steaks. I could eat three steaks yeah. right now. Like, oh, honey, you got one kiss. Leave. Uh, but it it's charm charming. Is it? Well, I'd like the male equivalent of like a, a bimbo type, right? Yeah, yeah. he's a he's a himbo. Original. He's himbo. a himbo. It's the exactly. It's the immediate inversion uh, yes. of the and and she just sort of exists with these with all these men. In this way where um, every time Cary Grant enters the room, because they've, they've set up this device where he can come over because of the dog visitation Shared rights. custody with the dog. Side note, the, the court scene with the dog. <laughs> oh my God. Really? Like, I always wonder with with movies from, you know, pre like 1960, maybe like, what is the level of realism here? Like, how much can I trust that this is how a court worked in that <laughs> I really hope that this is exactly how it worked. All right. I know it's not. Sit 100%. the dog down in the middle and both call the dog's name to see who the dog goes to. I mean, Wild there's times. there's some cheating involved, okay? <laughs> Lucy has a squeaky toy in her little mm-hmm. fur muff, which is not fair. I don't even know why she necessarily wants the dog. It's kind of clear that Jerry... Gary Grant cares more about uh, the dog. Yes. <laughs> um, so she mostly takes the jo- dog just to spite him. Yeah. But I just want to say that Mr. Smith, the dog, is the best boy. He is so good. Yeah. And I I love an old-fashioned movie dog because you actually have to teach them to do so much. The dog plays hide and seek. He did it all. When he, he did it all. Hat, I mean, oh. there was some editing there. <laughs> <laughs> some questionable yes. editing there but it is it is a breathtaking sequence yes apparently there was like a whole part like reading about this how skippy was like difficult to work with he and they were forced people. to take like unscheduled days of vacation because skippy got booked so like everyone's like oh we're, we're making this movie but the dog got booked out so we gotta go on break guys i have i have a story from a production i will not name any names but i think i can be vague about it there was a movie that my company was shooting during COVID and we made it through so much of the shoot without 
anybody getting COVID or having to shut down, we're like a week out from finishing. There is a cat on set in the movie and we get a call from production and they're like, hey, the cat might have COVID. And we're like, come again. And they're like, hey, no, this is actually serious. That's wild. Animals can pass COVID on to the human. So the cat is going to be fine, but we can't let the cat on set because he might I might unplug the these headphones so my husband can hear this because the arguments we had about <laughs> our, the potential of our dog getting COVID and I insisted it was possible. So this it's is possible. You're it's so possible. true for that. We, wow. we, we had to, I don't think they had to fully shut down, but we had to get creative with shooting around the cat because the cat was not on set That's because wild. of the COVID potential. It was a amazing cats are also famously like the hardest animals to train yeah like this movie has like a whole subsection in the making of where it's like they kept calling in different cat wranglers because no cat would fucking sit oh and then for the, cat, the, the one for, black cat the that's one in black one cat. shot yeah. and then they got a cat to sit but then the cat wouldn't move when the cat needed to move cats are just hard like mm-hmm. lou and davis they like every production like interview with the coens they're like i would never fucking make a movie with a cat again god it was worth I it i mean cats do not listen to you you can't get them to do anything on command unless you have like a very special cat my cat lewin does not do anything on command no. this is jordan's cat That's named cat after I, 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 I gathered I, what's yeah. it named after no <laughs> <laughs> you know there's this movie from 2013 <laughs> um but yes, I think it's hilarious that the dog was a huge source of friction in the production because, I mean, he's like the best part of the movie. I yeah. love this dog so much. Wire Fox Terrier, so cute, perfect like movie dog, does amazing tricks, apparently bit P- Cary Grant at one point. No Not good. a sly. No good. Should we talk about the improv? So you, David, you mentioned the improv. The and capital I, feel like that I is improv. So key, like Leo McCary's background coming from obviously comedy, working with Harold Lloyd. And the Marx Bros. But Zach, do you want to run us a little bit of like the improv history, like making Cary Grant's persona? From what I I know of it, uh, I'm not an expert on this by any means, but he brought, uh, McCary brought in a style that was very new to Cary Grant um, and it did not um, jibe with him. And I'm I'm trying to remember what the uh, the document was that he essentially drafted up uh, a week into their um week into their filming that he just was not having it and i believe he called it what's wrong with this picture right <laughs> that rules yeah 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 and it was like an eight page sort of outlining uh in which he tried to get you know let go of the film as we were saying and and all these things it was ignored i think he even asked for money he offered yes. money to leave yes like he, he said he, he would do a everything. whole production like he would make another movie for free if they let him out of this movie <laughs> and i mean i don't think they i mean i know mccary and irene dunn got along really well um over the course of the movie but the the grudge that mccary held toward grant was was quite infamous but anyway as you were saying um a lot of this comedy was modeled after the director himself. And I I think it's also worth just talking a little bit about Cary Grant's persona that was established here, which is he's a man of such like particular refinement and suave and elegance and kind of perfection that the slightest hiccup, the slightest surprise, the way he sits in that first scene when they very casually decide that it's time to divorce. Um, it, it, it's funny because it's 
against hype. It's against this this presentation that not a lot of people could sell, honestly. A handful probably in the history of cinema yes. could sell that fantasy as well as he does and then upend it with a pratfall or, you know, when he's trying to catch her uh, when she's singing opera, that that pratfall is just it's... unbelievable. It's yeah. so good. And then the scene keeps running and he, he collapses in the chair and it's... It, it, it's funnier every time because you have this unbelievably specific starting point that you kind of are mesmerized by. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it's just, yeah, I love that balance. Yes, there's a real authenticity to his suaveness as well. It doesn't mm -hmm. feel like he is overplaying it or no. playing more high status than he actually is. You never get the sense that his suaveness is like a performance on top of the character, unless, of course, that is like what the movie calls but, for. Yeah. That's his natural state. And then he's undone by the women of his movies, which yeah. I can totally see as like you know, a woman's fantasy is I would like, I would like to undo Cary Grant like so fully. Undo his clothes. Basically, Sorry. that's the thing. Is that and again, like, you're, it's a yes. reverse gaze. It's yeah. it's not what we would expect. Every time he, I, I think I forgot to finish this thought from before, but every time he walks into that room, he's the object of desire and he's the object of yeah. lust really because she has to work very hard to not be thrown off by him. It's not the other way around. He's the disruptor. He's the hot, silly person. And mm -hmm. that is in these movies of this time period, usually the woman. Yes. Yeah. And she, like Irene Dunn slash Lucy, is so knowing up until like the very climax of this movie. She is seducing him into bed and not the other way around. All the way from drinking sherry um, or ginger ale disguised as sherry to beeping on a car horn on the front of a cop's car being like try it talking talk about sexually suggestive scenes yeah i was like what the horn the different honks and then carrie great doesn't like Arr. yeah but like seriously yeah. like fully bouncing up and down on a moving motorcycle and i mean he bounces once yeah eyebrow raise there you go the hat gag just one last thing on that scene because when he's wearing like a tall, you know, classic hat and the hat gets flattened into like a bowler and then he like tips the cap to the cop and puts it back on and it keeps... There are many hat gags in this movie that are great. The scene we were talking about with the dog is this other man's hat is in the house, in the apartment, and she is trying to hide the fact that this hat is here. And the dog does this unbelievable acrobatic, shout out to Skippy, um, <laughs> to retrieve the hat as she, after she hides it behind a, a frame. And he essentially delivers it to uh, Cary Grant, you know, on your way now as he takes it. He puts on the hat. It is like <laughs> just the perfect large. amount of too <laughs> large where it's like, it's not so large that it's like, what the fuck is this? He's like, you know, he's like, hmm. what's going on here? And it's just the, the the visual of it is so brilliant. Yes. And eventually he, of course, figures out when he is uh, brought into the room with the man and he hands him the hat. The... It's a lovely little capper to that. And then he takes the hat, Two men in a but then farce. smacks the hat out of his hand, yes. too. <laughs> yes. I love how they play nice for about 15 seconds before fists start just flying. Yeah. It's interesting, like, thinking about, like, modern stars and old stars. Like, Keaton has, like, Buster Keaton has, like, he and Cary Grant almost feel like inverses of each other, but both with physical comedy, where Buster Keaton is 
is so good at playing not high society. So like when he plays high society, like he's good at playing like a foppish, insecure man within high society. Whereas like Cary Grant is so good at playing the like clean, you believe that he's high society, but then they both have the physical elements of it. But then you look at like Clooney and like a Coen's brother. Like I think about like, oh brother, where art thou? And even though they're playing, he's like a, a criminal or whatever, he has this believability to him where you can be like, oh, this guy could come from something or like burn after reading where he's like a well off middle class burn after reading is kind of screwball comedy adjacent like but that whole movie he's playing like a Cary grant-esque figure but like he keeps getting himself into these like crazy situations you mm-hmm. know yes yes and like his face reaction after he kills brad pitt also is something that Cary grant would do it's very hard to seamlessly go between comedy and drama i think especially as like a leading man Mm. um and to be able to hold on to your leading man persona i would say that Clooney is probably someone who has done it well when you're looking at like the jimmy stewart and Cary grant-esque stars tom tom hanks you know Mm -hmm. tom hanks for sure yeah Clooney had that period um, and I miss this period because he decided to become a director, which yes. I have mixed feelings about. Oh. You know, he had movies like Burn After Reading, and then he would do Michael Clayton and yeah. Descendants. Yeah. And, you know, they're all in that sort of prestige category. But, like, Descendants, he gets some, like, really loose, screwy material there that's, yeah. that's funnier. Uh, and Michael Clayton, he does have that, you know, Hitchcock Grant, like, suave intensity and yes. an enigma uh, and he plays Enigma so well. I yeah. even love him in Up in the Air. Up in the Air, good for him. I de- I will maybe defend that movie. Vera Farmiga, Vera Farmiga, Anna Kendrick, Melanie yeah. Linsky. I, I mean, yes. I, there's a lot to like. But it's it's just, it's a pretty pretty boilerplate yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, I think that yeah, that's why North by Northwest is so special to me as a Cary Grant performance because it's like a a meeting of the minds. Basically, mm. it is at it is a Hitchcock movie and a parody of a Hitchcock movie at the same time and is able to pull off both so well. And he is maybe the only movie star in the world who could like thread that needle, thread that needle so perfectly and use his star persona, like to inform us of what this movie is going to be. Yeah. You know, and Um, because he's working in, in, in a time when Hollywood was like figuring these genres out. So he's kind of inventing them or reinventing them along with, you know, the time period. Yeah. So you have Screwballs and then you have his turn to drama. And then, yeah, and particularly Hitchcock, which, of course, was um, so foundational. And then, yeah, going through to North by Northwest, where you start getting these commentaries and this this meta text to the movies. Um, and he's kind of there for all of it. Yeah. Like looking at this movie, like it is pretty early on in the history of like screwball comedies like technically like it happened when he's like 34 and this is 37 so we're you know three years removed really from the start of it mm-hmm. um and you so you could see them kind of figuring things out and like you look at test screenings at the time and they're still figuring out like how to make the comedy in this work better like in the making of they talked about how mccary they didn't get like the beginning wasn't funny enough necessarily for people to get the wavelength so that scene where she calls the lawyer and the lawyer's like yelling with at his wife at his was wife. like a reshoot but that scene is so good and like integral for you being tuned into what the movie is going to be doing because he keeps just for people who don't know the movie is like he's talking he's like marriage is the most beautiful thing in the world and his wife's this like your fucking lawyer. dinner's ready he's like 
Sorry. Marriage is such a beautiful act. Shut the fuck up is essentially yeah, the bit. They're definitely throwing fucks around. Yeah. That's... I was kind of shocked at all the <laughs> F-bombs dropped during the Hayes Code. Just crazy. Jordan doing some editorializing over here. But yes, I, I, I truly, I think that like, it's kind of wild to see the invention of a genre and the invention of a movie star in the same mm-hmm. film. Um, and as much as I love Irene Dunn and she like, she did three films with Cary Grant and then who was her other like sort of um, big her movie boy. star who she did a bunch of stuff with um, Charles Boyer. So she was very big into sort of like the comedic chops as much as I love her. Like, she was a Hollywood leading lady, but she wasn't necessarily like a capital M movie star. Right. Um, but she totally like runs this movie. She's so funny. Um, she, I was not expecting her comedic bit mm. as uh, Jerry's sort of like ill-behaved sister. Oh, that was crazy. God, when I... she shows up and she pulls it off. So like right near the end too, it's just like, oh my God. <laughs> and it really feels like it's her moment in the sun because yes, Cary Grant and his Pratt falls throughout that um, opera sequence are absolutely wonderful. And that again, it's, you, that's a movie star in the making, but she, you know, Irene Dunn came in and she owned that yeah. scene with the stuffy society people. And I was like, this is crazy. She's like, like, Give this... me five minutes and I got this. Yeah. It's, it's quite, wonderful when she does the like stripper bump she goes like oh i never could do that that is so funny Mm -hmm. once again they're really they're really skirting the line here i was curious because this was so early in like screwball comedy history how it like actually did at the box office and what it meant for like the future of screwball comedies something obviously our uh you know our box office info is a little shaky but something that i found really interesting is that the film made a profit of five hundred thousand dollars which is 10 million in 2022 dollars but that's in a year when columbia pictures profit margin was just 1.3 million dollars so basically like this film was responsible for half of columbia pictures profit margin in a year which that's wild is wild um overall the film made three million at the box office, which is sixty-one million dollars today. Very, I mean, very different budget comedy scale. But yeah, oh, imagine a mid-budget comedy. Imagine, yeah. imagine a mid-budget. It's giving comedy. a little no hard feelings. It a is a little bit, little bit. And yes, of course, this is this is the film that created movie star Cary Grant. Yeah. Um, I also think it's so funny how anti-improv he was, and then after this, he was like, "Actually, we need improv." This is how in it works. Film, and I will not hear anything else. <laughs> I have bits. I have ideas. <laughs> yeah. And it was nominated for six Oscars: Outstanding Production, aka Best Picture, Best Director, which McCary won, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor for Ralph Bellamy, aka buffalo bill that's not actually his character did we i know you're going to mention screenplay next we maybe should talk a little bit about vimia del mar yes Yes, because this is based on her play is it no or is it she 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 adapted she adapted yeah yes um yeah i was totally unfamiliar with her um Mm -hmm. me too the del mars i wasn't familiar either but I mean, David, would you like to, to take a lead here? Oh, I I, I, I was I, I don't know much more than you do, except for the yeah. fact that she's this, you know, this incredibly accomplished writer in, in a number of mediums. She wrote, you know, novels and she had a lot of really incredible fiction career. And, yeah. you know, with this movie, the, the, the process of adapting this play was pretty exhaustive um, because there was a lot of disagreement about structure and things like that. And the fact that 
you know, she was able to get all the way to a nomination Huge. Um, was pretty amazing. But from what I understand, this was like, this was it. She didn't really do another movie and she, she didn't. Yeah. She mostly went back to theater and novels, which huh, understandable. You make one movie, you're like, goodbye. I'd rather write my books in peace. But there, her, one of her books, Bad Girl, was also um, adapted for the screen. And it is a pre-code drama from the 30s. It's um, a, like a little risque as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I have never seen it, but it's pre-code. So like there's some crazy shit. I love that. Yeah, no, I wasn't super familiar with her, but I love the, like the fact that she was able to get an adaptation is huge. And especially like cause how like difficult this process seems for her to be the one to be the only title card written by, I think also says something seeing as there were probably so many writers that would come, especially at this time. Like there are obviously so many writers who still come in, but like back then in the studio system, it just feels like, 30 people were being thrown the script at the same time and it's being bounced around and everyone's giving notes. And even though the fact that this is improv, it's you know, same. it's the same today, honestly. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it says something. I yeah. think also I want to highlight the costumes like Robert Kalik, Kalak. Yes. <laughs> uh, he is like one of the most famous costume designers ever. Of this and era. just like, my God, just to run down some of the stuff he did. One was never nominated for an Oscar because that category wasn't introduced at the time which is fucked, but he did costumes for Hedy Lamar, Judy Garland who Babes on Broadway, Norma Shearer and We Were Dancing, Veronica Lake, This Gun for Hire, Rosalind Russell and His Girl Friday, Gene Arthur and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and Only Angels Have Wings, Claudette Colbert for It Happened What Like, this this man, like, designed, like, the future of costumes. Yes. Forever. <laughs> yeah. And the the costuming is so impeccable in this movie, especially considering like how distinctive Irene Dunn's um, outfits are. Like Mm -hmm. I have never it's it's very rare that I've seen that level of like shimmer and glitz in day dresses in a movie for when someone is not playing like a performer or a movie star. She's just playing like a you know having a glass of eggnog in this incredibly sparkly dress and she has some amazing furs there's the white fur as we mentioned but she also has this wonderful like probably dark brown like mink yes beautiful yeah and her nightgown at the end oh my god gorgeous and like narratively important too because again Mm-hmm. The, the suggestion around the moments mm-hmm. yeah keep saying not to mention Cary grant in a nightshirt like a like a, a big Ebenezer nice Scrooge yeah. honk shoe king honk shoe sleepy time king. <laughs> he does well in a night yes um but I think what is what does he say he's like oh there's like plenty of airflow or something no. along those lines but there is yes exactly it's it's oh, all it's all Carrie. a precursor to yeah. what is leading up to them ostensibly having sex and getting yeah. back together um it's a delight and it made me want to watch a lot more screwball comedies as you should yeah i know what are you doing get on it right now i've seen the classics but i gotta dig deep like it's crazy that i've never seen lady eve i also was looking at the screwball comedy section on wikipedia to see sort of like how the genre has evolved spoiler alert it really hasn't but one one movie that I did see on there was, of course, Something Wild, one of Jordan's favorite movies of all time. One of my favorites. Yeah, Have and a that's po- poster right over there. That's a great example of a more contemporary screwball comedy. But the yeah. Coens, the Coens are referenced a lot. Yes. Um, it, everything Bomb from Hail Caesar to Intolerable Cruelty, which I don't know about that one. Mm. <laughs> to oh, like. Oh, oh. 
Oh man, I yeah. gotta rewatch that. I, I I would never even have occurred to me. Yeah, raising you don't need to rewatch stuff like that. Yeah, no, we're good. But if you look at those. It's like that list is. Hmm, I'm seeing here like a lot of Jordan's favorite movies. Yes. Uh. No, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. Some Bogdanovich, some Bombach. Yeah. Yeah. I would be curious about David O. Russell, like pre sort of. Yes, craziness. there's like flirting, flirting with disaster. Yeah, is I mean, I love that movie, and that's on the one here. that came to mind. Um, yeah, because it it is it does get beautifully ridiculous. Yes, American Hustle. That's not. I feel like that's no, not we we, we need early, early. Yeah, yeah no, I'm talking like indie pre like let's just yeah. stuff a bunch of stars into a room and yeah, flirting with disaster. But yeah, and then obviously there's a some Adam McKay on here. Although Anchorman: The Legend of Ron Burgundy is not a screwball comedy. That is not okay, a screwball I don't want to fucking hear no. it. <laughs> I, not on this podcast. I hate that movie. Sorry <laughs> to everyone who likes it. Um. Anyway. I, Last thing about Cary Grant, is there anything we want to say? Like the Pauline Kale, is there any other kind of pulls from that article that you want to say or anything, David? Because I feel like that was, it did really sum up so much about like the Cary Grant persona and how much like everyone was really attracted to him and how he was kind of a one in his only star. Once in a lifetime. Yeah. She she has this quote that I I have written down that I, I love. She's, Comparing him in this moment to actors like Tony Curtis uh, and Jack Lemmon, and she writes uh, that Grant doesn't yield to cartooning femininity or to enjoying it. He doesn't play a woman he threatens to, flirting with the idea and giggling over it. That is an incredible quote. And it's I an think, incredible quote. Yes, yeah. obviously very telling for our the purposes of this, but also very telling, I think, for what we were saying makes him so attractive as a leading man is that yeah. most, like, again, once in a generation, leading men have a bit of femininity or at least the willingness to like be open to femininity in their public persona because again it's the idea that you are willing to get undone Mm -hmm. by someone which is very like not masculine of you that you're willing to like let a woman lay you out essentially and how men and women alike can read between the lines of like what that means um for you as a person. The one thing about uh, Vigna Del Mar uh, that I, I did know about this movie was that the one thing that was sort of retained in all the rewriting and why she left Hollywood was her premise of infidelity alleged of, of both husband and wife. And I think that that's a kind of gaze that uh, mm. is unique and that definitely comes through to what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, there's... um. I think it's like the... There's a very progressive moment in The Awful Truth where basically, uh, you know, Jerry, Cary Grant is defending Lucy's honor and says, like, I was the one who was cheating. Mm. She is an angel. Like, I'm not worthy of her. I would never, nor would anyone ever question her. Pure. I think he literally says she is pure as the driven snow yeah. at one point, which is obviously a lot on purpose. Um but the idea that these gender roles are still sneaking their way into a like very fun light screwball comedy. The idea that like sometimes you do have to step up and say, I understand that this is very different for us in these situations is that people won't talk if I had an affair, but people will talk if you like the wife mm-hmm. had an affair. People will look down on you in a way that they won't look down on me. And I can profess my love to you by 
defending your honor, even though we were both equally in the wrong and we see each other as equals and on equal footing. I love in that too, is that he then like crosses his fingers yes. to like- I love in the way the camera- Right, goes. and like, cause she can see it. So she she's like, he's saying all this, but he's also like digging at her at the same time, yes. which is incredible. Cause so you get hot. like the dual reading of it where you're like, oh, he does like love this person, but also he loves to dig at this person. Yes. The love is the dig. Right. The love is the dig. What's that? That's their love language. Right. It's, like what if we flirted thicker. by divorcing? Yes. <laughs> literally, literally. Unless. Yeah. Yes. And it's the awful truth. The, that's the, the, the idea is that's like intrinsic to every single screwball comedy is like these people really see each other as equals. Yeah. It is about a man and a woman, but it, it is two people butting heads on completely equal playing fields. Right. And there is no damsel in distress here. Um, at all which is nice because it's the breakdown of the stereotypical gender role and mm-hmm. the breakdown of like gender for the time yes. of like how that would be played on screen which is like awesome to see and like i think that's what makes it so fun is like there isn't like by breaking down the gender roles and you're by playing with it i think it just adds like a nice dimensionality and i think Cary grant as a leading man and like a lot of leading men and women at the time were so giving to do something like this and so open to play with that which says something about them as people. Like, I think that Tony Curtis, Pauline Kael thing is so interesting because, like, I love Some Like It Hot so much. But Tony Curtis as a star is very, like, oh, I, like, no, I'm not gay at all. Like, no gay here. And, like, you look at him in Spartacus where it's, like, he's so fucking gay in that movie, but, like, he cannot, like, comprehend the thought in his character. So he's giving... And it's which know, kind of accidentally helps, right? And then what's what makes like a bunch of gay men? They'd be like Tony Curtis, hello, you know? Yeah. Um, I'd be interested but. to look at. I'm sure it exists, but to look at the parallels between like gender roles and screwballs and gender roles in noir, which mm. again have that same sort of like mm-hmm. women can be all powerful, men can be hapless idiots, and yeah. here's why this is enjoyable to the American public. But whereas noir is like this is anti-American public, but we're doing it in a knowing way. Screw balls were like this is the fantasy of america this is you know things are kind of shitty and depressing right now but like we have the screwballs for you but right. they're those two genres are really putting forward very similar things yeah um just interesting to think about how something as kind of like you know m- f- frivolous as genre conventions can totally change mm-hmm. like how audiences are looking at something yeah i don't know Movies and society and history are a very fascinating blend. These movies are especially boring. They were like, here, this, everything sucks in the world. You're depressed. The world's greatly depressed. Here's an escape. That mm-hmm. That's what we, we're coming up on it. I'm telling you, everybody get ready. Woo. Woo, baby. Can't wait to see what the year ahead is like. Now, anyway. the question is though, Brooke, how do we think the people of Letterboxd feel about this movie? Let us find out. I'm going to guess, I think this movie, you know what? I'm going to be optimistic here. I'm usually pessimistic about the Letterboxd community. I'm going to be a little more optimistic. I'm going to go with a 3.8. Okay. You think that because it's a classic. I think it's it's a classic. People like it. That's around what I would guess. Yeah. It is the magic 3.9. It's a 3.9. Oh. Yeah, should have guessed. A lot of people are out here giving this five stars, which I totally Good. agree with, or yeah. four and a half. But I would, of I would, I would hope so. Yes, yeah. twenty six k people have seen it. It has three k reviews. It's pretty, pretty low. I would imagine on our. I can tell you popularity. where it lands on our popularity. We won't list. get too specific. Yes. We have a popularity ranked list that Jordan keeps with a tag from the Queer Quadrant, and it tells us 
you know like how high oh yeah it's pretty low pretty low i'll yeah. say yeah it's in the bottom 10 in terms of letterbox popular. what else is around the bottom 10 oh well i'll tell you we got the new cat people paul schrader you have nightbreed smoke and aces 2006 the haunting 1999 stick it uh in and out <laughs> nice I, um, I'm here. I'm here to help you guys out. Wow! <laughs> and then the bottom three are the Brady Bunch movie, um, an upcoming film which we have not covered yet, but I will say the boys in the band. Uh-huh. Uh, and oh, then, yeah, well. and dead last that will never be beat is the Eagle. The Eagle. Although I will say we are covering uh, since we've talked about a future movie, we're covering a, another future Cary Grant vehicle, That's Arsenic true. and Old Lace in a few months mm-hmm. and um i'm interested to sort of again talk talk about carrie grand star persona again and how that has changed because that's in the 60s yeah so, big change in that one and yeah. that one's also about like what if your aunts were lesbian <laughs> and they like to kill people <laughs> murder i'm so excited that's um, a fun one. it's so yes, good yeah but i again i i think that like i'm so happy that we got to talk about his group all comedy yeah, it's great i mean there's so many more I'm, to I'm cover bummed it's in the top 10 I'm gonna be honest. It, it, for how how po- the how low 10. the pop- bottom ten? It's, yeah. it's a classic. Yeah, it, it is a classic. It's just there's so much recency bias on Letterboxd in terms of like you know the more recent the movie, the more people are gonna have seen it. Yeah, or at least have logged it because like it basically every movie from 2017 plus is just so unfairly. Yeah, like I mean like our top. Weighed. I get to the top right now. Basically, the top five are Inception's number one, American Psycho number two crazy social network number three black swan four and hereditary five (laughs) yeah so again big like letterbox movies um we talked indeed yes we've talked about down with love recently which is like a modern screwball very inspired by like the 60s but this is this is where it all began and like the the truth is that the awful truth is that every time there are gender roles at play there's also going to be conversations of sexuality and gender identity at play um and this is one of the earliest examples of being able to dig into that i'm really glad you brought us this movie i wasn't sure what to expect do you feel like you learned the truth i learned so much truth you don't even know there's so much truth in this movie yeah (laughs) i'm glad because i feel like the opening scene with him particularly like okay this makes sense for this yeah yeah. yeah, a dude in a locker room wanting nothing more than to just hang out with the guys. Go play golf with the guys. Yeah. And his guy, his his friend is also not looking at him in the slightest in the eyes. Like he's staring at his like back muscles to butt. He's staring for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's Swinging giving him googly eyes. Is this like racket. 30s growing out? Like what is this? What yeah. is this? Yeah, apparently. He's like, a continental mind. Yes. Apparently, McCary based this sort of lie of like, oh, I was in Mexico as wanting to come up with like excuses to spend a boys night with the boys, <laughs> which is just Go on. <laughs> just just fascinating. Boys being boys. Just fascinating to think about whether it's in the context of like, oh, Jerry was having an affair in Florida. Oh, Jerry was hanging out with the boys in Florida or he was doing both. Potentially. He was hanging out with the boy. It's in listen, this is what's always good about um a code era movie is there is so much reading between the lines and it is actively encouraged by Hollywood itself. Don't tell us we're reading too far into Absolutely. it. Absolutely. This yeah. is what you've told us to do. We're just following instructions. I will also say not to project, but the way that Carrie Grant sits no straight person sits like that like that's a very by way to sit you know like where you're like sitting on the edge and your two knees are up i'm like i know who you i see you he's cute it's I very kieran it. culkin in succession coded okay. sitting okay. you know 100%. oh my god i love that 
Yeah. But Brooke, where would this land on the queer quadrant for you? If you have to give it out of five truce, how many truces is it getting? I think I'm going to give it two and a half. Two and a half right down the middle. Yeah. I think that like what we were talking about between the locker room scene, the two men in a bedroom farce, all of the reading between the lines that we have to do on both fronts when it comes to how these people are spending their free time. And given that this is the birth of Cary Grant movie Mm. star and that we can see him stepping into the public eye here, um, it just feels like a good blend. Um, So two and a half for me. What are you feeling? I'll say same probably. I don't think it's like the most queer of all the screwballs. Like I think you look at like a bringing up slash... I mean, something like it hot is like probably the the number something one. Something like it hot is in a league. Of you know. Yeah, um, oh, okay, a league of their own. Nineteen ninety four. Nineteen ninety two. Thank you. Ninety two. Oh no. But yeah, I would probably say the same. I think Cary Grant is just such a fascinating figure to look at, and like no matter what he's imbuing, whether it be because of the conversation around him as a star or just the characters, there is an inherent, I think, queerness to his roles, I especially within the screwball comedy. Yeah. So I'll I'll give it a two and a half as well. Great. David? David, I'm gonna go to three. Yeah, hell yeah. I just the amount that I've been sort of steeped in 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 this man's life, and particularly like the evolution of his films um, and in his persona. Uh, if you want to draw that link, it's a very strong one, and I think that looking at this movie as a sort of origin story uh, makes a pretty compelling case for that extra half half star. Absolutely. I love that. I mean, look, Cary also Grant, alleged bisexual, not to, to say that it. Ralph Bellamy's character is gay, but the way that he writes poetry is so bad that I have to wonder if it was like a camp performance for him. No, I think that if anything, that just proves that he's a straight man. I'm sorry. Yeah, the, the home on the range performance is punishingly straight. Yes. It would make my life divine if you would change your name to mine. I okay. wanted to Slay. curl up in a ball and die. Um, Cary Grant's probably sitting, he's sitting behind there. He's like, Oh, I got this in the bag. Oh, I right. She is coming like, back. I don't to gotta me. worry about nothing. No fear. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he's got to get some popcorn because he just saw three Rin Circus. Yes, so good, so funny. Pink lemonade too. Yes, true. <laughs> the only thing pink about that lemonade was the bisexual okay, lighting of okay. it. Okay, I'm cutting you off. We're all done with that. <laughs> David, thank you so much for being here. Seriously. Thank you for having me. This was a pleasure. A yes. Delight. And this is, again, I don't know that we would have talked about this movie. And those are no. our favorite movies that guests bring us are the ones that we're like, oh, my God. Yes. yes this is brand new territory. So we appreciate it. Um, you are the best. But if people are not familiar with your work, what are you up to right now? And where can they find you? What am I up to right now? Well, I'm just getting started for fall movie season. Mm-hmm. So I'm seeing some redacted titles. And I oh, think boy, it'll be a fun season. Uh, I am seeing redacted titles, working have... on redacted articles. <laughs> uh, I have to say, I, I think it's been a really, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for this season of talking about movies because I feel like it was a really strong first half. Um, mm. I loved, uh, movies like past lives. I think I've seen a lot of the can movies and I think they're really wonderful. So what's your front runner? What's what's taken best picture right now? Oh man. Oof, it's early. It's so early. So I I was I did this on Little Gold Men in um March? Whenever mm-hmm. the Oscars were March. Uh and I had said the holdovers, which is the Alexander Payne film coming up. Mm-hmm. And that's 
partly because it, for those who were in Toronto uh, for that festival, it was screening there for for sale, and it was of enormous buzz and talk and end up selling for an insane amount to focus and they don't usually spend an insane amount so it's kind yeah. of like trying to math up um obviously that is that is sight unseen uh, i think past lives is a good shot to get at least a lot of nominations yeah. um i think that you know it's it's definitely gonna stick around other than that i think we're gonna have to wait and see a little bit Brooke, what's your call right now? My call? What are you feeling? Middle of the year, yeah. Um, It's very, again, very sight unseen, but I think this could be Scorsese's year for Killers of the Flower Oh, I, I th- I've seen it. I think it's, it's. I actually do think it has a really good shot. I think it's a really, yes. uh, it's really moving. Um, Not to say his movies aren't always moving, but I think it, it hits in a slightly different way and it's so good. Yeah. Um, so it- I think, it, yeah. It feels like it's a good blend of like it's thrilling there. It's obviously there's like these big commercial elements. It's buzzy mm. enough. It's a DiCaprio, but it's also like this very it, it, it has a strong social element. I don't know. It's kind Can of you spot it's, the wolf in this picture. Oh, God, I'm so excited. It's firing on a lot of cylinders. And so that again, just totally randomly. That's what makes you feel good about it. Jordan, what's your pick? So, as a noted Wes Anderson stan, you think Ashford's oh, going to win? I don't think it's going to best picture. Look, I think of all his recent work. It has the best chance. Like, French Dispatch wasn't even going to get nommed. Like, I know it's like, it was so. No, it didn't even get in production design. Yeah, like, it it was so unpenetrable. This feels the most accessible. It's doing well financially. I'm like, we're this, this, we're so far out. I just wanted to get, like, Grand Budapest should have won, and it's really upsetting that it didn't win in hindsight, especially that year. I'm just going to say, I just want Asteroid City to get a nom. That's all I'll say. Like, if it gets a okay. nom, I'll be happy. You, you know who what I would love to see? I don't think it'll happen, but Jason Schwartzman for yeah. that movie. He yeah. is so fucking good. It's a career movie. performance. It is. That, that's in dialogue with Rushmore and everything. I, I loved it. Brooke has, so I don't want to spoil anything because Brooke has not seen. I'm but also, I'm we could cover it. it on the pod, you know? Oh, really? We could. Okay. I'm going to go this week, so I'll, I'll okay. report back. Great. It took me a minute. I was like, oh, yeah, you absolutely can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Margaret won't get a nom, but it should get a nom. Uh, oh, are, are you there, God? God? It's me, yeah. Margaret. Oh, my no. God. I, ju- I, I actually like, finally just watched it. I really hope, like, screenplay at least. Right? I mean, like. I love that movie, but I, my hopes are not supporting high. Supporting actress, maybe? My hopes are not high. Oh, I, you know what? I'll give you one that I, I haven't seen. I, I, I've only heard good uh, things about, but uh, uh, Emerald Fennell's Saltburn. I can't Whoa, wait. Whoa, interesting. Oh, man, okay. I'm excited. There's some buzz there, so. Gotta pour some salt in that burn. I don't. I, I don't even know if it's coming out this year for sure, but I. I, I would bet on it. So yeah, <laughs> I'm excited. Well, we've got lots to look forward to. Fall movie season, baby. Fall movie Buckle season. Buckle up. Obviously, everyone should be listening to Little Gold Men for their award season. I, I tend to agree. I. <laughs> agree wholeheartedly <laughs> um and we're also floating around the internet you can find us mostly on twitter i'm a brookby solomon jordan h gus and we're together at queer quadrant and the same goes for letterboxd and also instagram mm-hmm. and you can find this podcast on spotify on apple in florida question mm-hmm. mark wherever else you care to get your podcasts drop us a rate five fur coats only drop us a subscribe a review perhaps and you can also tweet at us and tell us what you think about the great screwball comedies of the 30s and 40s maybe which ones we should also mm-hmm. check out add to the list and what in general you'd like to see us cover in the future so in two weeks tune in for pain and gain the michael bay film we have been threatening to do this for a while oh my god yeah and brooke 
Is there anything you'd like to leave Skippy the dog and all our awful truthers with? That Mr. Smith is the best boy. He is the best boy. <laughs> <laughs>